All right, everybody. Good evening, good morning, whatever it is. We are here, semi-live, Jimmy Palumbo Show. That's right. I'm your host, Jimmy Palumbo, and we are indeed here on a very special day because we are coming to you from not only Matawan, we are coming to you from the first time on the Jimmy Palumbo Show. We are coming to you from the flipping madeeasy.com studios. That's right. This studio has been renamed by one of our great new sponsors, flippingmadeeasy.com for all your flipping houses needs. Go check them out. It's really awesome what they have to offer. They've come aboard and full sponsors of uh, Chop Sports Media, Chop Sports Network, the whole bit. They are all in signing a year deal and they have their own studios like Rutgers plays at Shy Stadium. Well, this is FlippingMadeEasy.com stadium, but we call it a studio. And this is the Jimmy Palumbo Show. Glad to have them aboard. This is show number 29. And of course, you know what that means. It's show number 29. And look, I can go, I didn't find there was that many great 29s. This might be in the top five, what do we do here? But of course, look, I could have, you know, Rod Carew, Smoltz, Dickerson, McGriff, um, Shitty Yankees like Bob Shirley, Mike Stanton, uh, Gio Ashella, which is, is heading towards being a shitty Yankee, uh, Gerald Williams. Um, but I have to go with a guy. I was going to go Catfish Hunter because I used to love him on the Yankees. But he was 29 in the Yankees, but he really was a Hall of Famer with the A's, and he wore number 27, and that's the number that's retired on the for the A's. So um, I'm going to leave Catfish Hunter as a tw- number 27. and uh, But I'm going to go with one of my... Favorite, uh, not that great players, which I'm famous for loving. I'm going to number 29 for the New York Yankees, Jesse Barfield. Now, what I loved about Barfield, number one, I mentioned him in the short film Game Day, which some of you know I did, um, because Barfield, his arm in right field, I laugh. There there was a game I could, I wish I I already know what you're going to say. Against Texas, he threw it. From right field corner into third into base, third ba- over third base and, no, into no, the stands. No, but he threw one on. He did a few of those, but he threw one where I swear. Now this is a fan, not. Uh, I'm just a fan here. How I remember it was, it, the ball was in the corner, bouncing off the walls. the 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 player was well between second and third when he grabbed the ball in the outfield. He turned around and I, like I say in the movie, he threw a bullet to Mike Pagliarulo at third. This throw was like like somebody shot, shot it out. The tag was easy. It was like, no doubt he's out. Um, and he also got to the point where there was a man on first, deep fly ball, they didn't tag up. Uh, like Nobody went from first to third. And forget about going home. Didn't happen. Like I remember we didn't have Gary Sanchez back there. We had probably a decent catcher. And even though he struck out all the time, he, he ended up being a winning player, played a long, you know, decent amount of time. But uh, he retired early at 32. I think his son was a first-round pick. Yeah, too. but listen, Jesse Barfield, show number 29, because he threw a bullet to Mike Pellerulo. And who's your guy? I kind of kept it local for you. I Uh-oh. was going to go with a few Packer players, but Myron Guyton. Oh, totally. Uh, you know what? I didn't. You that's know what's funny? I, that's a real good one. First of all, the entire That might be book. my favorite one that I've given you because it, it got that reaction. That oh, I totally. For. Myron Guyton. He's another. He was another guy who was like good for like four games. But like, what happened to him? I wish we could do that show. What happened to Myron Guyton? That's a great name for a podcast. My brother and my cousin Joey are driving off the road right now. That's a real good one. I can't believe. Where did you even get that? Well, what I've noticed is that we've been looking at 
the same. Two same. things, two things. One, full <laughs> disclosure, we haven't taken it as serious as we should have, where we're just looking up the same website. Same web, we're yeah, we're we kind of just getting up. the most famous 29s, and it kind of goes against what we're trying to do with okay. the whole thing. Okay. So I did a little bit more of a deep dive. And all right, you went all in. Prepared. All right. So get your so, game together, step your game up. There you go. Jimmy Palumbo, show number 29, the Jesse Barfield slash Myron Guyton show. Oh, my buddy Steven did. He's crying right now. So, um, so this was, if my voice sounds like I swallowed a frog, um, I had a, um, had a, a long weekend, a good weekend, great weekend, big Palumbo family wedding. My, um, my nephew, Chris married Bree. It was beautiful. My daughter came with me. She was dressed up, um, in a beautiful dress. Uh, she'd never been to a wedding. It was just awesome. Um, she got a kick out of the whole entire thing. I was walking her through all the steps of a wedding. But, of course, the music is loud. Blew out my voice. My voice is killing me today. Um, matter of fact, when, when I'm done with it, I had to do three podcasts today. So when I'm done, I'm going to just shut up for the rest of the day. But Chris could, you ima- could you imagine if Jimmy actually shut up for the rest of any see that, day? See, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a funny statement and a little bit rude, but that's okay. You know what makes you it know, funny? Another, that it's true. Yeah, you know what? Let me tell you something. The reason why I'm not just like throwing you out of the studio, which I have the right to do, even though you own it. Well, FlippingMadeEasy.com owns it now. Because um, your Packers won. You know? So your Packers won. You're happy. Your girlfriend's happy. Your mom's happy. Everybody's happy over there in the, in Chris's world. Um, and, um, and that's it. So I'm going to let you be rude there. Uh, the wedding was awesome. Um, it really was. It was. Uh, I, I took pictures with all my nephews. They were all in town. The, you know, a Palumbo wedding. There's. It's funny. I, I thought of something sad, uh, and maybe people in my age bracket can can relate to this. You know, at the weddings, you have like the old guard, that old table in the corner with the aunts and uncles. You made you know? it. You finally well, made it. No, you know what it is. I guess we hadn't had a wedding in a while. That table is like small now. Matter of fact, it was only like one table. Yeah. And there's the secondary tier. That is like ready to launch as I am, uh, I don't want to mention names of my family members, but like we are, I am now getting close to that table where you don't get up, you don't dance. But since my daughter was there, I was dancing like a crazy fool, doing all my crazy moves from the 80s and 90s. Um, but it was a great time. I wish the best of luck to Chris and Bree. They had to wait through the pandemic nightmare. They had to wait an extra year, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they're going to do just great. So God bless Chris and Bree Palumbo. Um, the other thing is the Yankees. Uh, look, everybody knows the name of the studio. I know it's FlippingMadeEasy.com studio, but really I wanted to name it the Giancarlo Stanton Studios because anybody's been listening to my show. Uh, in the beginning of the year, everybody was bashing Stanton. And I was a little bit like the guy doesn't stay on the field, blah, blah, blah. But all I've been seeing is a dominant player. Dominant player. Bombs, home run, plays the field, really hasn't been hurt all year. He was hurt for a little bit. Um, this guy just, yeah, knock on wood. Uh, but this guy is just like, he's got the demeanor. It's almost, he's got swagger, but not not a Deion Sanders kind of swagger. He's got that like, like, and he talks to the press, he's calm. But like, he hit that it's home more run. more of a blue collar swagger. He hit that home run, and the way he threw the bat at at the Yankee bench was like saying, "Like no guys, like like we're not losing." This like series. anybody else? Like it's like really? Are you gonna you gonna pitch the other guys carefully to pitch to me? Okay, uh, there's just a swagger about him. Um, 
On the field, though, like field-earned swagger, which is always the best. Although sometimes I love off-field stuff, but it's it's not like Jeter did. It's a different kind of leadership. Uh, I think once we made the move to get Gallo, and now Stanton has to play essentially it, to be in the lineup. It's it's he's just dominant, and and he's he's a, he's a better fielder than we gave. And him the home run, the, the home runs he hit Saturday and Sunday were. <laughs> Like it looked like golf. Looked like he was he was on the third hole of the, the Masters, and he's in a golf shot. That's how fast they got out of the park. Uh, listen, Yankees played well. They won two out of uh, three out of three. But uh, Sunday's game, even though John Carlos' back is hurting because he's carrying him, I thought was uh, I'm so glad they won. But that was a microcosm of bad baseball, man. Um, drop fly balls. I know Chris was watching a Packer game, so he wasn't as intense watching the Yankee game. Drop fly balls like I've never seen. Like, you know, fly ball to Rizzo. Fly ball. Dropped. Uh, foul ball to um, LeMayu. Dropped. F- foul ball to the other guy at first base. Dropped. Sanchez. Ball flying out. Weird uh, steal plays by, uh, I forget his name now. What's the name? The fast guy they put in for the runner. Wade. Uh, Wade. Um, it looked safe. He looked out. Awkward slides. It just looked like it was just uh, uh, bad pitch counts. Like, I, I thought both teams played horribly. But you know what? The Yankees won, and that's how it was. So it's a sweep. I'm happy that Yankees rarely sweep. Uh, that was huge. So, of course, uh, the big event was the wedding. But, of course, at the same time, uh, Rutgers was playing Michigan. Everybody knows I'm a big Rutgers fan. We were watching on our phones, watching, listening in the car. Um, in, in the beginning I had the beginning of the game, I had a little more time to watch on the phones because the, the – Cocktail hour hadn't started. I was checking into the hotel, so on and so forth, after the church. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, I was trying to watch, but I was distracted. In the beginning, know? it wasn't going as well. For it wasn't Rutgers. going well. But I, you know, I DVR'd the game, and we were able to watch. We were able to watch it at the wedding, like trying not to be rude um, by watching a game on a little phone. Uh, and it was exciting at the end. They came back and stuff like that. But then I really watched it on DVR. And I got to tell you. Some boneheaded calls by Shiano, which he always did for 12 years. Anybody, we used to make jokes about Shiano, best coach in America until kickoff. And he's the best coach after the gun sounds the game's over. He made some calls, I think, at the end of the half that actually... The one call that sticks out to me was the the way they tried to gimmick play The, 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 the gimmick play down. and the fourth and ten from the from the 48-yard line with 22 seconds to go. They had three timeouts, was dumb. Really could have cost them the game. But I got to tell you, second half, what did Michigan do? They were up 20 to 3, and they won the game 20 to 13. We missed a field goal. So did they, so we'll call that a, a wash. But all I saw were three and outs. We were never three and out. We won the game at the line of scrimmage. We won the game at the defensive line of scrimmage, a pressure on the quarterback. I thought, I thought it looked like. Uh, uh, Vedral was the star quarterback. Not the I thought the Michigan quarterback was well, lousy. The Michigan quarterback is lousy. He stinks. Um, and even though, listen, you are what your record says. We got the loss, but to me, I I feel good about Rutgers going forward. I think they can. Of course, horrible matchup this week with Ohio State. Like I wish we were playing anybody else but Ohio State because we could get bitch slapped again by them. Because th- now they're going to be super ready for Rutgers. But I think the days, you see it. I felt it in the stadium, the two games I went to. College football is still rah-rah. There's a feeling in the stands, in the crowd. The the, the way um, 
We don't get the stupid penalties anymore. The, the guys are making tackles. Uh, are you talking the, about college football or Rutgers? The Rutgers. Rutgers. The guys yeah, the are defense and the special teams, yeah, man. Special teams. Our punter is good. Our, uh, you know, our kicker. I'm not so high on, but uh, well, I'll leave. He's okay. There's just a feeling, and that leads to recruits on the sidelines. Hey, man, you got to come here. We got a lot going on. I, I just don't know. Their schedule's brutal. Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State. You know, but listen. Bottom line is they need three more hey, wins. Nonetheless, you came away from this game this past weekend feeling a little bit better about Rutgers than you did going into it. You I actually, re-watching the game, I think Rutgers should have won that game. I of really course. do. Um, now, maybe Michigan didn't play well. We give well. a hard time about moral victories, but that's no, more for the NFL. Rutgers, the NFL. Rutgers won. No, NFL is a NFL is because pure. recruiting and just being in the, right. in the, on I, the map against Michigan is. The bottom line is what college football is. You are what your record says you are when you're. Alabama, Georgia, this year like Penn if State. To, if you're looking to get a bid into that tournament, if you want to get in the top four, then it really matters. You are what your record says you are. Unless you're LSU, they go like uh, they can go six and six, and they still get uh, they, people think they should be in. But for for Rutgers, we're not going to the national championship game. We want to go to a bowl game, and they got they got three more wins. We got to get three wins, and you got Northwestern, Maryland, or really they need two more wins. For the, until the last game of the season. And then your coach can go, hey, guys, game 12, you're playing Maryland. They're as good as us. Win the game, you go to a bowl. And if they do that, I'll be that'll be awesome. If they lose the next five in a row, uh, we will, we'll discuss. But I'm thrilled the Rutgers played well. you got to we, imagine that with the way they played against Michigan that they'll be able to pull out in Indiana, one of these Minnesota. We'll, I'm we'll, not sure what their big 10 we'll schedule see. is. We'll see. You know, college yeah. football is weird that way. But uh, we'll see. Um Anyway, the, the, the next, uh, the other awful thing that happened this weekend was the Giant game. I got nothing to say other than um, I, I, I think the Giants stink. Uh, you know, I also think it's, it, perhaps there's a chance that maybe Atlanta's not as awful, but that was a bad no, NFL Atlanta's, game. Man. Atlanta's bad. It was a bad NFL game. The Giants did the one thing you can't do in the NFL. They made. Five or six big mistakes inside the red zone. And and you know what? They're not good enough. You know, a really good team like, I don't know, Buccaneers, Packers, you know, they can make a few mistakes and Aaron Rodgers can light it up and still win. The Giants can't make, and I'm talking about big mistakes, holding calls inside the 10, uh, uh, delay of games, calling timeouts every five seconds, like coaching staff. Come on, guys. Yeah. You got to get that down. The one thing I'll take away from the Giants so far, it's early, three weeks. But last year, they, the Giants, the thing in going into this year was that they were in a lot of games. They lost a lot of close ones. So the hope was going into this season you'd start winning that them. you start maybe turning the corner and winning those close games. So far, not so good. I mean, you could uh, – and another thing, like the way the Redskins and, and uh, the uh, Falcons kind of waltzed it's, it's down football field. Team. Football you know, team. Uh, sorry, Washington football team. That's going to take me time. Sue me. Um, the um, – uh, like, hey, defense – like you could make the argument that the Giants could maybe be two and one. The Giants they if, held if up they, if they had one sack. More so, the defense held up all game yesterday. Right. The defense played well, and then when it came down to they crunch could, they time, couldn't, they, they couldn't, couldn't get, get, it get it done. Now that means that to me is a sign of a not so good defense. But Giants stink. Eli Manning they retired his jersey. Um, Eli Manning, listen, <laughs> he'll always have a sweet spot in my heart. He won two Super Bowls. We were. A, uh, we were, the Giants under his tutelage were extremely average, and um, the um, and that's just it. Uh, but Eli Manning was a, 
a loyal soul, once a giant, always a giant, still a giant. He works for him now. He's funny on his new Monday night show. Watch it tonight with his brother. I think that's going to be a hit show. Um, when you're watching the Cowboys, Eagles, the, 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 the both brothers are great. Eli Manning, great giant. Hall of Fame, I don't know. Uh, depending on who you compare him to. But uh, you just love guys like Eli, Eli Manning. Feel good. Good man. Two Super Bowls. Beat the best team. Beat Brady twice. I always wonder, like, Eli Manning had a bad barbecue with Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't care how many Super Bowls Brady wins. Like, you know, Eli strolls over to the shrimp bowl and be like, hey, what's up, Tom? Hey, Eli, like, I got you. I don't know how else to wear it. Did he, like, I don't know. And it's funny because Tom has Peyton. Right. So it's almost like a. It's like a yeah. You talk about the one thing you. that Eli has, right? Over his brother. It's over the only any, thing right? really has any over you know over anybody. He threw for a I lot mean, of other yards, than the fact that he's made over two hundred million dollars, right? Yeah, but all that. you know, and listen, we know we know what it's like when you lose a stud quarterback. I have my theory: when you get rid of your quarterback, man, it sucks the next couple of years. Some theory. So anyway, so yeah, that's my weekend. It was good. It was awesome. Some. Fun sporting events, some nice weddings. I threw out my voice. But, of course, now it's time to the favorite part of the show. That's right. It's Jimmy's bookings. And when Jimmy has his bookings, you know that means um, who it's sponsored by. And that, of course, means it's sponsored by Absolute Eyewear. That's right. Absolute Eyewear, 42 Main Street, Woodbridge, New Jersey, 732-326-3937 or 732-326-3937. Eyes, which I think is hysterical, uh, owned by Craig and Janine Michaud. I must say something. Craig does. I haven't talked to Craig in a while because uh, he's a loser. No, Craig's a great guy, but he's busy <laughs> with his kids and family and all that. Um, and Craig, call me once in a while, bro. Come on. Um, the uh, Janine is not a fan of Giancarlo Stanton, and I was almost going to not She's do. Coming around. I was almost going to not do this She's live read. Around. Because she has to admit that I was right about Giancarlo. No, she did on on Facebook. I she, wanted, has, I, we, she has made comments. I don't think that she specifically said, "Jimmy, you're right." That's what I want. That's what I want to say. But Jimmy, she said, "No, right. I am coming around. Right. It's hard to not be." When but listen, he's playing this. Absolute eyewear. She owns it with Craig, her brother, brother and sister, licensed opticians. Um, they're open. Uh, they're they're open five days a week. They're closed Wednesday. Why are they closed Wednesday? Softball night. Why are they closed Sunday? Football Sunday. There you go. That's how good they are. They get it. Um, they got everything over there. They got glasses for every budget, including mine. Uh, discounts for seniors, AAA, AARP, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. Of course, they got their $100 off a complete pair of prescription eyeglasses. When you mention this podcast, don't forget, bring in a little photo of me, stick it on the window. We laugh over that. I'm sure now you can't even see inside. They've been in business 16 years. Um, listen, they, everything's on. They got an optometrist that's on the premises. You go there, get an exam. They fit you for glasses. They give you discounts, um, contacts as well. Uh, and listen, they have, they have like glasses there for like $60, you know, probably the kind I get. They got the designer glasses. They got the reading glasses. That's really everything. Uh, everything's done on premises. They do the lab work right there, so they can. There's not a long turnaround. They can turn it around pretty quick. Um, they do. They do some call-in stuff. But Janine said, just have everybody call me, and I'll walk them through the process. Sometimes you do need to have a fitting with reading glasses and stuff where they, you know. So you call them up. Some stuff they can ship, but most of the time they want you to come in and get a nice fitting and stuff like that. They'll be in business now 17 years. Uh, they're based in Woodbridge, obviously, and they're really, really involved with the Board of Education, the police, the fire department. They give great discounts. Um, 
They actually make the mayor's glasses, which is so funny. I love that. Um, but they're a great place to go get your glasses, and they have all kinds of designer glasses. Now, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this with my voice, but I'm going to try it. Your attention, please. Now, speaking with a hoarse voice, Jimmy Palumbo. Absolute eyewear has Ray-Ban coach Ralph Lauren, Jimmy Choo, Silhouette, Michael Kors, Vogue, Maui Jim, and Costa Del Mar. That's the best I could do. I can't, I don't know, I can't do Marv Albert or Jim Carvalho's. My voice is killing me. I'll do that. But go check them out. Absolute Eyewear, 732-326-3937. And now... It's Chris, you're looking at me like you want to say something. I kind of do. All right, we'll speak. The whole three, two, six, something, something, something eyes. Do you think that's just a sign of the times and when they started the company? I don't know. That's a good question. Because I don't look that way. Everything's in your phone now. Everything's in the phone. You don't really typically see people paying right. extra money. But when you think about how long ago the company I, was started. Well, she's, might, she, I say it tongue in cheek, even yeah. though it is eyes. Um, it's a... Uh, it's basically, I think the number is 732-326-3937. I get annoyed with that, by the way. Call 1-800, you know, get a better pillow. It makes me crazy. for something when it you takes were like looking hour. at your old house phone and it right. had the letters there. Yes, I agree. But you know what? Listen, uh, she gave that to me as a, as a fodder and we just used it as fodder. And we probably won't mention that again, but I'll, we'll talk to Johnny and we'll have a laugh over that. We got to get her to call in one day, see if we can do that. But Absolute Eyewear, go check them out. They're great. And they sponsor Jimmy's Bookings, the worst title of a, of a segment of a show ever. Now, the first show we're going to talk about, and believe me, I don't have that many bookings left. I've been doing this every week now, but I still got some. A show that maybe you don't know about, and we made a note to let people know this show is on Netflix uh, currently. Uh, it ran for two seasons. It's called The Get Down. Um, it was directed by uh, Andrew Bernstein. Casting director was Rory Bergman. Always got to like... Mentioned the casting director because those are the ones who cast me. I played the role of Larry. Now, this show was takes place in the 70s, right before rap music came. And like guys like Grandmaster Flash, they made big money. Like drugs was the cassette tapes with the rap. That's how they these things were passed around and duped. And they were getting like two or three hundred dollars. Like it was big to go to a party if a kid came in with like a new rap thing that the kids were listening to. So it was a lot about Grandmaster Flash, which I didn't realize was a true pioneer in that world. So it took place in that in that in that space in the seventies. Um, but the thing that was crazy was we shot it in West New York, Brooklyn, and Will Smith's kid was in it um, in the show. He played one of the kids I talked to. And let me tell you something: West New York, Brooklyn, there. They didn't get the memo that, like, New York, this is before the pandemic, too. They didn't get the memo that, like, New York is nice now and Brooklyn's nice and you can get an apartment for four grand a month in Brooklyn. This was a not safe, by far the most unsafe I've ever felt on a, on a set. We shot in the middle of a section underneath the L subway there that they, they used it because it still looks like the 70s. Filthy, dirty, nasty, crime-ridden area. Anybody says um, I'm bashing it, I am because they had, they, they, matter of fact, I was in a trailer and I had my bag on my computer in it and there was a kid walking around. They were terrified. They had to walk around the trailers in this neighborhood. It was brutal. And one kid uh, doing the craft services, which is where they have coffee and you pick up a little candy bar or something like that, fruits and vegetables and little things like, not vegetables, but snacks. Um, 
kid was from like Iowa, 22 years old, off the boat, first job on a set. And they were shooting it in front of this like house that was like unsafe people were like hanging out. And so a crack house, a crack house. And they were like, they were trying to steal food from the table from this kid. And that's not his job. And they had to hire more security as the thing went on. He told me that one guy just came over, grabbed something off the table, said, what are you going to do about it? And then pissed all over the floor in front of like, <laughs> look at this guy. So I immediately said, okay, I'm not leaving my bag in this trailer. So I took my bag with me and I kept it like four feet from me the whole time. Hate to bash West New York, but um, yeah, bad set. But it added to the feeling of the, you know, uh, of the set of that moment. <coughs> Sorry about that. My voice is really shot today. Um, now, I played a guy. The cool thing about this thing was I played a guy who owned a store that sold like boom boxes, tape recorders, turntables. They had me with sideburns on. I had the... the, the the knit pants on really pulled up high. I look like such a jerk off. If you see the scene, you're going to die laughing. Full, full beard and mustache. And I don't understand the kids. And I'm first I'm mocking them out for, what's wrong with you kids? I had a guy come in. I sold him a turntable. And three days later, he came back. He said he wanted another turntable. And I'm like, oh, what are you, breaking the turntable? That's because the rap thing was going on. But he didn't even realize the money he could have made on turntables. And then behind him, there was all the, the, the set decorator did a great job. They had all those boom boxes in the, in the 70s. And uh, so finally in the scene, I'm yelling at the kids because they wanted to do layaway and stuff. And I'm like, every time I do layaway, you kids never, uh, you never come back. And then um, on my desk, I was like, you know what? Another thing with you kids, somebody left a tape here. And on the tape, it said Grandmaster Flash. And the kids see it. And they're like, their eyes light up. And I'm like, I put it in. All it is is boom, 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 boom. Guy talks, boom. Like, the guy's describing rap music as if, like, you know, it would never been, for a guy like that, he didn't know what it was. And he goes, oh, well, he tried to pay me with this tape. And so the kid's like, well, if you don't need it, we'll take it. And the kid's snatching out of my hand and they run out. And I give them a look like stupid kids. They just, you know, of course I don't sell them anything, but they walk out with the tape and now that tape they were able to bring to the party. Cool little scene. I thought it was a cool show. Will Smith's kid, super security. There must have been eight security guards just on Will Smith's kid, um, which is fine. Jaden? No, which girl one was it? Was it was... A boy uh, or girl? Boy. Jaden Smith. Yeah, Jade, you got it. I know he has a couple kids. Um, another thing they did cool on the show was there was a huge fire scene. Um, there must, I guess they, there must have been riots back in the day at that time. And um, the fire scene that they did was so cool to be involved with. They blew out. My store gets blown out. So they set up all the fire bombs and the flames. And to watch that stuff, they spray this stuff. I forget what it's called. That it, it, it catches fire on a wall, but the actual wall doesn't burn, just the vapor. I don't know what it is. It's, like this, it's cool as hell. And then they have big explosions. You have to make sure the guy says, hey, Jimmy, make, don't go further than this. And be aware of what's going on like they went through. And I had to play this in slow motion with music. This guy's like, why are they, why are they destroying their own town? which still goes on today with the riots and stuff. Like, why would you break down your own city? And I play a guy who's just disgusted over that. So it's a cool little scene. Um, check it out, the Get Down. Cool little show. The other one, I got another thing I did. show called uh, Tell Me a Story, which ran for two seasons. Uh, Billy Magnuson's in it. Uh, this whole thing about fairy tales in with real life. It's a pretty cool idea. I played a contractor of 
the one guy who's a jerk off, and I don't like him, but I wanted to fire him. But he's friends with the other guy or dating my daughter or something like that. It was like, all right, this guy's a jerk off, but I'm going to keep him hired. But basically, I sat in a truck with my phone and a cup of coffee for like eight hours. I felt like I really was a contractor. It was another one of those gigs where the actors who, unless they went to IMDb, thought I really was a contractor. <laughs> That happens to me. I'm so good that you feel like I really am. Meanwhile, it's most of it's like this part's so insignificant. Maybe they did hire a contractor. But uh, I had my flannel shirt on. I was accessing my inner father. But it was the first time I did. It was on a CBS streaming now. It's probably on Paramount. I think it got bought around a little bit. But it was the first time I was bummed because when I shot this the streaming thing, there was like Netflix and nobody else. And I, so there was no way to watch it. So I watched my scene once. I went online and paid like $10 to watch it for a day. And I caught the scene. But it's a cute, cute little, uh, little show. Tell me a story. And a lot of people like it. So check it out. The other one was, excuse me, was a, um, a show. I've talked about it on the show before. I'm sure I have. Um, one of those shows that when you say it in front of other actors and people, they're like, oh, my God, really? Marvelous Miss Maisel. And um, the star of the show is on Amazon. star of the show is Rachel. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Brosnan. That's the way you pronounce it. But it's like uh, B-R-O-S-N-A-H-A-N. And it's Irish. And some of those Irish names, you know. Brahungalhungalhun. I think it's Brosnan. She's adorable, sweet, pretty girl. Um, uh, also cool. Like sitting uh, on the set. There was a bunch of, you know, the, the actor's chairs, director's chairs. She was inclusive. Whoever was sitting there, she was talking about Thanksgiving, this, that, and the other thing. She made you feel like you were part of the show. Um, and she was talking about her boyfriend, her husband at the time, where they're going to spend Thanksgiving and talking to this girl and that girl. Her assistant was there. She made you feel, you know, like you were completely part of it. And the cool thing, the showrunner is Amy uh, Palladino. And she did Gilmore Girls. She's famous for massive dialogue. I swear to God, if I ever was on a show with her, the amount of dialogue, monologues, these actors have to memorize. And I suppose they change it overnight. She new sides. Like, I'm talking about you speak for three straight minutes, dialogue. And since she's the writer and the showrunner, you can't change a line. <laughs> so out of curiosity, then, this is, might be something that other people are wondering, too. When they do that, it's not more of a voiceover thing. When you say dialogue... No, in other words, you're in a scene. You're... You're you're talking to your your mother, and you speak for three minutes. All right, so I was in I was when you said the word dialogue, yeah, I, I would imagine like, like as if like you're sitting there writing a letter, and you're you're writing the letter. No, and you're not no, speaking, no. but that, they have your voice talking over the, the top. The, the, the scripts are intense with her, and she's a wordsmith as well. And she you wants you, exactly how she writes it, which is fair. It's her show. She very successful with Gilmore Girls. Um, but the other cool thing was uh, Michael Zegan, who plays her husband on the show. He's, like, I, I didn't, you know, I knew him from a bunch of other shows, but he sat down next to me. We just started BSing. And turns out he grew up in Ridgewood, which is up where I live right now. Total Jersey guy. Giant fan, used to have season tickets. Totally goes to, you know, goes to, totally was aware of, like, Jersey and where I, he knew restaurants that I go to. And he still visits family up there. He couldn't have been nicer. He plays Joel on the show. But the cool, another cool thing was they had a big set where they had the, uh, some of the nightclub scenes uh, and, and and the apartment and all that stuff. But they built a set within a set. And the way they do it is they, they it's almost like Legos, the way they build this thing. They built the inside of 
of a comedy club's basement where the manager of the club would be. And I'm talking about comedy clubs really of the 50s, which were different than comedy clubs now. They had burlesque, not burlesque acts, but singers, a little this, a little stand-up. And it was such so realistic. My office had... Gotta remember, if it was a, a club in the fifties, really the office might have been really from the thirties, a twenty-year-old office. The detail in the office was mind-boggling. The keys they had, like the Rolodex kind of thing, the the phone, the 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 notepads were so realistic from the fifties and forties and thirties. I was like, this is so awesome, and it wasn't even in the shot. It could have been. I'm saying like you don't know. Could have been, you- but the way the camera angle was, and I play a scene where. Um, my nephew gets, uh, my nephew's running the club for me and he gets punched in the face and, and I come out like aggravated, like, what are you doing? And then I realize that I didn't pay them yet. So I am the jerk off. But a uh, cool little scene, um, just just a cool thing. But the way they built that set, and I asked the guy, because yeah, we'll just take this down in about an hour, put it to the side, and when they need to use it again, it goes right up. Uh, just amazing Hollywood kind of thing. The other thing is um, the uh, last show, and I'll be done, the Loudest Voice, okay, is a Showtime show all about Roger Ailes, and it was played by Russell Crowe, and he put the big fat suit on. And the, he was in the makeup chair for like six hours before they shot anything. He looked like a fat bastard. Every at, day. Every day had to sit in this thing. And so when I first saw him, I was like, wow. Like, only because I knew, I don't think I would have known it's Russell Crowe had I not known that I read it in the paper a couple weeks before. And we shot at a hotel. Now, this was a classic Jimmy Palumbo booking where I was getting overpaid. I was a glorified extra, supposed to have like five lines as a doorman. I really only had like two. They cut it back. But he does, there's a big scene inside the ballroom at the, uh, was the Inter- Intercontinental Hotel, I think it was. And uh, it was cold as hell. It was a cold night. And uh, so we, they walk in and they wanted me in the background way in the background. I was like, so I had to stand there after my one or two lines while they were shooting in the sign, uh, like, a, like a long scene. That's a drag. You have to sit there. And I knew from how far away the camera was. I'm like, I, you don't even, you can't even see it's me. I'm not in it at all. But you know what? They're paying you. You do what you got to do. But here's the, here's the, here's a little tidbit on this scene. And probably if I met Russell Crowe, I would tell him he would remember this. It was a cold, like, little wintry night. I'll leave it at that. Like snow flurries, a little, then it got warm for a little bit. It was one of those 38-degree windy things. And there was steps, and they were, like, a little icy, a little slippery. And so I'm sitting there, and he came. We were blocking out the scene, and I'm thrilled because Roger Ailes was, uh, got kicked out of everything, and then he came, made his comeback. I'm the guy. We love guys like this because they tip. So when I see him, I say, welcome back, Mr. You know, welcome back, Mr. Ailes. And he's like, thank you. But he said, hey, listen, I'm going to shake your hand. And I said, okay. So I'm like, well, now I'm even going to be like a little handshake with Russell Crowe. This is cool. Working with a huge international film star. First take, bro, I'm not lying to you. He goes up. He's in this fat thing. And I guess, I guess it's hard to walk around in that because he even made his legs fat, the whole thing. He goes to shake my hand. And, dude, He slipped. Now, I don't know if you've ever caught somebody who slips. He slipped, man. I am not making this up. May God strike me that he, if I, if he didn't shake my hand, he was production shut down for two weeks. He was going down. And for some reason, I grabbed him with like 
like and hurt my back a little bit. I grabbed him, and my reaction was to grab his elbow and kind of like secure him. And so it happened. It just happened lightning quick. But he was going down on these like five steps, you know, and it threw up the blocking. And he says, "I oh, we still did our lines, and he went through." Of course, it was just a blocking. They they shoot blockings now. When they that's when they set up the whole scene. And I went like, whew, man, like. Russell Crowe was going, and I was like, is he going to say anything? He comes back, he looks me dead in the eye, he goes, hey, man, thank you very much. I was going down. I said, yeah, I know you were, bro. I said, he goes, oh, you okay? I, I actually said, just listened to you say that in Russell Crowe's voice, too. Right, so it was like, you know you, you know when you realize, even if it's a stranger on the street, and you almost, you go, hey, I, listen, I I was going down, and <laughs> you, you saved my life there. But then, of course, he comes back, he goes, yeah, we're not going to do the handshake. <laughs> I'm thinking myself, I saved his I saved his ass, but now he cut my little handshake moment. But it didn't make sense. You you, you don't you don't shake the hand of a doorman at a hotel. You just acknowledge him. So he gave me that, you know, look of how you doing, buddy. And I still said my line, but uh, I'll never forget that he was going down, and he was very nice to me afterwards. You know, and, but then then he said the best thing on the way out. He's like, "So how long you been working here?" And I said, "Now he, he thought I was a real doorman." And I'm like, "Why do people think?" I'm the real really guy. I'm the real guy. I go. That was my phone. That was a uh, another issue here with the. Uh, at that that wasn't at flippingmadeeasy.com studio. That was Chop Sports, the ghost of our old studio name. But he comes over to me when he asked me how long I. He says how he said how long I've been doing this, and I said oh I don't know about thirty years. And he looked at me like you've been here thirty years. I was like no today I've been only here about eight hours, and he looks at me he goes oh. Wait a minute, you're not a real doorman? I said, no. And there was like this look of like, he goes, hey, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to. I go, dude, don't worry about it. I'm dressed up as a doorman. They could possibly have used a real doorman for this scene, possibly. And uh, and then I went, you know, I gave him a wink like, yeah, a real, a real doorman would have let you slip so down. Out of step. curiosity, like how often does that happen? It's happened to me. It happened to no, me. No, 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 not with you. Like, because it's multiple times where famous actor or actress thought you were an actual worker, not right. an actor. I don't know if it's maybe... I don't really recall that ever being a thing that I thought happening, uh, but these guys... I guess... Apparently, you know, it is a thing. Listen, I, you know me, I play pizza owners. What, I did one thing, what was it? The uh, One of the 30 Rocks or something. The guy was like, how long you own this joint? I was like, I don't own shit. I'm making $1,500 for the day. Oh, you're just an actor. And then I realized, I don't know how to... I, like, is part it more of me likes to it. be a pizza guy? Is or it like you're just oh you're just an actor. It's like well, is it better for me? I don't to know. I don't know whether to take it as a compliment or as a um, like like am I that low on the totem pole? <laughs> or like you said earlier, where it's you're so good at it that you give off this feel that it's like, there's just, no way he could I'm be acting. such a great actor. You don't he feels like the real dude. I don't think it's that, but who the hell knows? No, it's well, not. I will tell you because on set sometimes there is a hierarchy. Got to know where you fit, you know. I'm not Russell Crowe, so when they're paying attention to Russell Crowe, I'm not going to go up to the director and say, "What's my motivation?" As this man walks up the steps, I'm not going to do that. But some actors do. I've seen it where an actor does not have a big part in a scene and actually starts to discuss the scene with the director, and I can see the director's face is like, um, oh, "Okay, yeah, just." But meanwhile, what he really wants to say, and if it was the '50s, would have been like, "Get, get this actor out of here. Like, I don't want to deal with you." I'm, and I wanted to go up to him, and the actor was like, oh, I'm so glad I asked that question. I was like, I, I said, Jimmy, don't say it. But what I wanted to say was, you just made an ass out of yourself. It, you'll never get hired by that guy again. You blew it. So sometimes you got to act like you've been in the end zone before. And I always try to do that. 
Um, maybe that's why I'm doing podcast and not working on a film. But because uh, the first day on the set of Beer League, I was not in, but I, I showed up just to check it out. And the crew was like, "Sir, you got to move away." And they're like, "I was getting treated." And I remember looking at everybody's face. It was girl, pretty girl too. And all of a sudden, the next day, the, the, cat, the crew always gives a little more love to the leads. You know, that's how it is. It's the first time I was a lead. So when she saw my face, she was like. I'm so sorry if I didn't treat you well. I'm like, you were doing your job. You didn't know who the hell I was. She goes, why didn't you tell me? I was like, I didn't think I had, I didn't, wasn't, you were doing your job. I was in the way. You like, no, 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 no. I'm allowed to be wherever I want. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm in the movie. Yeah, I'm in the movie, bro. Anyway, but yeah, so that's so funny. They think I was a doorman. But that was one of my, I got to do a tally of doorman, pizzeria owners, doorman, cop, detective, um, probably one other one in there so those are my roles and every time i see a role and it's not um those parts i know i'm in trouble but maybe i'll play podcast owner all right coming up we have a very special guest the producer of beer league anthony mastromaro is kind enough to come on our show to talk a little bit about beer league and some other things and we'll be right back with anthony mastromaro Service Team of Professionals, a.k.a. Stop Restoration of Edison, is a locally owned and operated business that provides professional disaster cleaning and restoration services, including a 24-hour emergency service to homeowners, property managers, real estate investors, and insurance companies alike. Stop Restoration helps people overcome the stress and anxiety of unforeseen circumstances caused by fire, smoke, water, mold, and other unexpected damages. As part of a nationally recognized restoration franchise, Stop Restoration of Edison is backed by the best technical advisors and business consultants in the country. Visit them right now online at www.stop-edison.com. All right, we are back here on the Jimmy Palumbo Show. Now, I have a very special guest coming on here. Now, some of my uh, fans and listeners will, you may not know his name, but he was a, a critical part of my fan base in many ways, including Artie Lang's fan base. Um, he is a uh, producer out in Los Angeles, and he is the, was the producer of Beer League. Welcome to the Jimmy Palumbo Show. Anthony Mastromaro, what's up, buddy? How you doing, Jeff? Thanks for having me, bud. Hey, what's going on? So, first of all, I was <laughs> laughing. Now, uh, Anthony's not just known for um, uh, producing Beer League, although to my fan base, that's his only movie. But, uh, <laughs> no, he's also produced a bunch of movies like Old Man and the Gun, which had uh, Robert Redford in it, and Finding Steve McQueen. And uh, he also produced a film called Black but Butterfly and um, Louder Than Words and stuff like that. And he'll, he'll talk about some of those things as he as he sees fit. But first of all, um, how's things out in Los Angeles? How you doing, man? Um, well, as you know, right now I'm in New Jersey, uh, in Hoboken. So, but, but, you know, listen, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to LA. I've been, I've been back here, as you know, for a few months, you know, my mom, dealing with my mom and family stuff, uh, but everything's good. And, you know, listen, LA is LA. You've been out there with me, Jimmy. You know, you know what it's like. You know, yeah, I mean, we'd, uh, we, we go to stand up clubs. I'd be your only person in the audience. Yeah, well, Anthony, laughing at jokes that nobody else got, you know, so Anthony was part of the, um, 
uh, when I hung out with company we well, when I when I hung out with Anthony, the difference was uh, number one, uh, Anthony was just coming out of Wall Street out to L.A. to start himself as a producer, so he had money. He had a, a Mercedes in the driveway. He had a cool ass apartment. He was buying uh, seventeen dollar Johnny Walker Gold. <laughs> we were living That's the high right. life, but we were hanging out with Artie, of course, and so we were the two Jadrules hanging out. That's going to be the name of our. Um, management company, Jadrul Management. But um, we hung out a lot and we went to, Anthony would come see me do stand-up. There'd be two people in the audience, including himself. Um, but, you know, he started out producing That's stuff and he people. got involved with um, with uh, the short game day and that led to um, led to Beer League. And I know a lot of people like, what, I got a, a couple things. First of all, what was it like for you to be involved with Beer League and producing Beer League? Well, look, obviously, uh, it was a great experience because it was technically like, although I had produced a couple of other movies leading up to Beer League, I wasn't, you know, as, you know, I feel with, I feel like with Beer League is the first time I had to, like, wear all the hats. Yeah, um, you, you were hands and on. Kind of, and, and, and kind of did, did everything, whereas the two previous movies that I was a producer on, I worked with established producers, um, who I just kind of learned from and, you know, sometimes bumped heads with or whatever, but so, and, and, and beer league, obviously, but the fact that it was you and Artie, um, you know, and Frank, who I, you know, who I had a relationship with at the time, um, Deej, who I knew a little bit, but not right. as much as I, I knew you guys. And the fact that, you know, it was in Jersey, right. We were all from Jersey, you know, I'm from Hoboken. You guys are, right. you know, you're from, uh, uh, what, what town you're from again? Uh, Colonia, Colonia, right. right. Colonia, Colonia and, Union. And, and, and Union. And, you know, we all, you know, we all kind of met in Hoboken when, you know, uh, well, one of the- sister Stacy was, you know, bartending and that's kind of how I met the family and all that. Stuff. Well, so, so for that, it was, you know, it was a great experience and being back home and getting to do that with everybody, you know, one of the things I laugh at, you mentioned Hoboken. Um, now everybody knows how popular Hoboken is and it's like the place to be all these young people, but Anthony is actually real Hoboken. <laughs> like, his, you know, his, his mother and father came off the boat. They ended up in Hoboken. <laughs> he's, he's not a Hoboken graduate Villanova, go to get a $4,000 apartment and take the path. <laughs> Although he did take the path. Um, yeah. he was taking the path when it wasn't nice to take the path. <laughs> it wasn't like it is now. So Anthony is really true blue Hoboken and is, uh, Mother still owns a um, probably a very valuable place to live right now. Oh yeah, and, oh uh, yeah. Uh, but that's great. He's a, 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 a what do you call it? An original Hoboken guy. Yeah, and there's still a few of us left. But you know what? I, I mean, that being said, I, I really love what Hoboken's become. Um, you know, when I was growing up here, it was a little seedier. And you know, look, obviously, it's got its it, it, it's got its uh, it, it's faults if you will you know at least right. from the way that uh, you know, from, from my perspective but but what the town has become is really amazing no, it's, uh, it's, it's a nicer place it, to know. be restaurants yeah, are great it's a nicer place to be yeah 100 so, i know me we're, um, we're tight with uh, the guy who uh, owns madison's he lives a town away from me now in bergen county dave that's right yeah david um, yeah i was with him all weekend and he's opening up a pizzeria on newark street called the madison pizza lab we've uh, been hanging out in there while he's been testing his different doughs i've been eating more pizza in the last two or three weeks wow. jimmy than i probably ate in the last three years now you become uh, a fat bastard it, well i've always been a fat well let's let's, let's uh 
We'll talk about beer league for a second. I know. Um, yeah, we, of course. We, we could touch on this. I remember it was um, uh, it was weird. I mean, we could listen. This is I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but you know, Artie would Artie had his you know drug issues leading up to beer league, which added a layer of stress to you, to Frank, even to me. Um, you know, it was tough because Artie was was struggling um, with his you know, drug use at the time, really. And it made it, like, how difficult was that for you in pre-production? Uh, it was incredibly difficult. Um, Cause you were because, friends with them yeah. as well as producing the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and on top of that, Jimmy, it's, um, you know, they, we, there came a point where, you know, we're in the thick of pre-production and then we learn like, you know, we might not be making this movie and, right. and we've, we've already spent a ton of money. You know, we've had our production offices in Hoboken, right at the Newman building there and, you know, location scouting and hired, you know, our creatives and all that stuff. And, 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 and Artie was, you know, in a very bad, bad way. Right. And, right. um, that was you tough. know, and I, I think yeah, it was tough. And I, I, I remember writing him a letter and saying, look, Art, at the end of the day, your health is what's most important. If we can't make this movie, we can't make the movie. Like we want you to be okay, you know? And, um, uh, and then, you know, he, uh, he did, you know, his, his doctor prescribed to him that uh, this pill. medication, uh, that pill. Yeah. That's kind of like, you know, that's yeah. a sub, sub, subutex, subutoxin or something like that. Whatever it was, it completely transformed yeah. who he was. Um, uh, you know, he went from someone who looked like he would never be able to do this, like completely strung out to someone who looked like he was completely normal. Now, it, you know, if you remember, you know, um, I remember that. He, he'd get tired and lethargic along the way because I'm sure the medicine beat the shit out of him, you know. But well, the, if you remember, it was Friday. I was heading down the shore as I normally did at Shore House and you called me up and you were like, Jimmy, man. It, this movie ain't happening. You were like so down. I was like, you kidding? Oh, man. So I was like, here I am. I got a lead in a movie, a great part. So I drove down. I drank like a fish for two days. I was like totally pity party, hanging out at Leggett's, like telling people, Artie can't do it. He's not, you know. So Monday, I stayed till Monday morning, which I rarely did. I'm driving home, and I put Stern on, and I hear Artie on the air. And I'm like, oh, they're probably playing a, an old, an old one, you know, replay. Right. And next thing you know, Artie's talking, making jokes. And I'm like, this is live. And I call him Anthony. He goes, Jimmy, I don't know. He took this pill and it turned them around. We are a go. And I was like, yes, we're on, you know? Um, yeah. And, it, but even then, you know, like every day I get really nervous. Like even when we were, when we started shooting, he like, went to his trailer today when he went into you his know, trailer, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. he was we coming out at the time. He, he had that girlfriend that he was with, uh, yeah, Dana. girl, but you know, Dana. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, so look, I, I don't want to speak ill of Artie cause I love him and I, all I want for him is to be good. And, and look, he, all that all said, I mean, I think everyone would admit like he showed up, Listen, you know, he, I, he I, fucking, he nailed it, knocked it out of the park. And if, you know, if, if people knew, what Artie did for that, because listen, shooting a movie and doing the Stern show in the morning. So Artie, here he was, yeah. coming off of drugs. I mean, fresh off of drugs. Yeah. Doing the Howard Stern show from 6 a.m. to 10. Getting to the set and having to be 
dealing because Artie was not only was the lead, he was like a little bit of a producer himself and a writer, and he was working with sure. Frank to change lines and make it funnier. And you had to be on for you know, he, and it's amazing what Artie was able to do because he was you know that's why when he went back to his trailer in between uh, you know uh, set changes or stuff like that. Everybody just let him be. He went back just with Dana, and sometimes his sister was there. And he came, there was some times I'm like, Artie's not going to come out of the trailer. I think maybe only one time there was a little delay. It was like one hour or a half hour. We were like, uh-oh. And Artie came out because he, like, he didn't realize he was supposed to come out. And he, and he got right in the scene, and he was funny. Um, you know, uh, and, and he did his thing. And um, Yeah. You know, the movie no, he totally out. did. He, to- he totally did. And, he, you know, he... he- he, uh, you know, again, uh, there were times when I was, you know, wondered, you know, was worried whether or not we'd be able to pull it off. But, you know, uh, to his credit, um, I think once we got in a groove, he yeah. started to really believe in what we were doing and what would what, what you know, what potentially could come from this. And I think I know- he got more and more excited. And then obviously he was also the each day that went by that he stayed sober. I think was also very helpful as well, right? And so I also thought, like you know, I thought he was best. Uh, all the scenes at the bar. I know that sounds funny, but I think, as you remember, it was the hottest on record temperatures in New Jersey. Oh, and, when we were um, on the field, it was so hot. There was no ground cover, no no trees. It was it was just ninety five degrees. I felt bad for the crew because I I went back to my trail, even though yeah. you poor Dave, my favorite. What well, and, and when Artie got into that bar scene, even though he was sober at the time, he really started to gel. And I think that that's my favorite part of you know parts of the movie. But yeah, because he's good. Like you know, he, he he's. Artie's really good with like the camaraderie stuff, you know, where you're just riffing and you got the right. thing going on and like, you know, it's like you put the pins up, he knocks yeah. them down, right? Like yeah. He was, uh, he was really good that way. I just laugh at, yeah. you know, uh, one of the producer's jobs is to have enough trailers for the actors. So certain days if there's only 10 actors, he had enough trailers. So one day we had four or five different actual teams that we're playing against, plus the cast and the crew. And you came up to me. <laughs> You said, Jimmy, Jimmy, I'm in a jam. I'm like, what? Because in my contract, on a sad contract, you're supposed to have a trailer or someplace. You were like, you go, you go, you go, I got no room. I got no room. Do you mind? So, and then, uh, then you put me and Deej in where the extras were and where we had uh, lunch. Um, but that ended up being fun for me because me and Deej just sat and BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah you should, you'll talk to anybody. Then, That's why I was like, you know, it's easier. If then, I had to go ask somebody else to do that. And then one day I was on the set, I had like Artie's trailer. Like Artie wasn't there. I had this massive trailer. So I went from like sitting in a cafeteria at like a Knights of Columbus or something to this massive trailer. But, uh, yeah, so, hey, listen, all right, you know, the, the Beer League came out. It's a little bit of a cult classic. I'm sure uh, when you have yeah. meetings now. You- I, uh, yeah, listen, uh, listen, I, I told you, Adam Sandler came up to me one day and said, bro, I fucking love that movie. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah. like, you know, and. and uh, I get it all you know, the time. You know, Adam's Adam's a friend of the family. So, so, so he knew, you know, so I know him a little bit and he knew I was, you know, involved in the movie. Um, and I think that that's why he kind of, you know, and he's a, he's always loved Artie, you know, and those guys, they're all, you know, right. Norm, Adam, they're all super tight and close. And right. so they're, right. they're all kind of under that same umbrella. But look, you know, if I have any regrets about that movie, it's the deal that we ultimately made with that company, Echo Bridge, that the financiers jumped all over before we even had a chance to have that 
CAA screening yeah, of the movie, you know, because I, I feel like they just, just messed up. Just so well, people don't know, gonna, I'll sum that up real quick. What he's really saying is that we were supposed to have a big screening in L.A., sponsored with CAA, the biggest talent agency in, in the world, with a huge distributors, like the big boys at the time uh, in the dis- distribution world. And even me as an actor, I'm thinking like, I can't believe a movie that I think I did a decent job in is going to be viewed by these power brokers beyond our imagination. And the thing got canceled due to a pre-existing got canceled, deal. Yeah, because like the day of deal that they were, they, yeah, they, they, they threatened to sue. And I told uh, my guys, who gives a shit? These dudes aren't going to sue. They didn't sue anybody, you know, like whatever. They, they folded to these guys yeah, and, you know, them. and because we had such a great killer trailer yep. that we used to sizzle that we sent to all the buyers that they right. were like, Oh, we got to come see this. You know, I just think that if it was in the hands with a more, ex- of a more experienced distributor, again, I'm not sitting here going, Oh, we would have did 25 million bucks. But I think, the marketing campaign and the distribution kind of uh, uh, strategy would have been a lot smarter. It would have just it would have played a lot differently. Than, I don't than think people. Um, I don't think people realize that the movie really wasn't released. Really, it was in what ten days in the theaters, and it was like it was all of four Ooh. different cities. Um, I, I thought the the theater selections on it was in like five theaters in the Bronx. I, I, yeah, yeah, listen, we we opened. We, you know, I, I feel like it was, I forget what year, well, it was 2006, but I'm trying to remember what movie, but I remember Ralph Macchio telling me, bro, we're opening up in Long Island at a Cineplex against, you know, we got two two screens in the same Cineplex against like some huge movie that was opening that weekend. It's like, how, how do you compete against that? So again, these guys, they were very green. You know, the, the investors just jumped on the money that they were offering, not right. thinking through, like, we may never see another penny from this. And yep. that's ultimately what wound up happening, right? Like, you know, I mean, and so, of course, anyway. of course, yeah, I'm, I'm still fighting SAG to get residuals, but I'll yeah, never get exactly. it. Yeah, I'm sure the, you are. Um, you know, I'm sure you are, yeah. Uh, well, also, we also, Anthony was involved with, um, um, we, we came up, we still think it was funny, uh, you know, to do the a Beer League, the animated series. And um, yeah. remember, you we got. I, to, think, I think it could have been hugely successful. Me too. But, me, Art, again, know, Artie uh, wasn't. Artie was a little bit uh, hurting at that time too. Um, I thought we had the right writer yeah. uh, attached to it. I think it would have been funny. But remember, I don't know if you remember, you were in contact with one of those companies with the bobbleheads, and you were saying we were going to have bobbleheads. We were going to have figurines and everything. <laughs> no, it was great. I got oh, that guy, man. you know, uh, the, the, to to do those sketches. Yeah, you know, and, I still uh, got him online. Yeah, I have to post it. Yeah, no, listen, I I think uh, yeah, I think that could have been funny. Hey, you know what? Uh, listen, it been politically politically incorrect. And just you know, uh, and you could push the envelope in animation hey. a lot, a lot more than you can in a lot of other mediums. You know, I will tell you this, and my Artie Lang fans will appreciate this. I think Artie's going to start creeping back into the world a little bit, and I think I think uh, doing I don't know if it'll be beer league, but uh, I think doing an animated show with the same kind of guys is still we still have a shot at that. I, yeah, listen, I I I I, I, I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't say no to that. I think that there is, and especially again, in this climate, I think people need to loosen up a little bit, you know, like the pendulum just swung so far to the other side. So I think, you know, coming up with something, uh, you know, I, I just read like a, a quick review earlier about the, uh, 
you know, the Saints in Newark or whatever, the, the you right. know, the prequel to the Sopranos movie. And, and 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 very briefly, one of the one of the reviews said something like wow, the violence and the language and the way that they talk to women and all of that stuff. And it's like, uh, but every Soprano fan would really love it. You know? And then I'm like, well, you know, listen, you have to be authentic to the time. Uh, you know, you can tell a story right. about, you know, those guys. If you don't have that kind, if you try to clean it up politically, then it doesn't work because that's not what it was like then. You right. know, like know. you, you got to play into it's, what it was at that time. That's not saying that we're condoning that uh, behavior or language or violence, but if you're going to be authentic to a piece, then you have to be authentic to it, you know? Yeah. So um, if you get a bunch of Jersey guys in a bar drinking, watching a game after softball, they talk, um, they talk in a different way. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, exactly. Especially any, if they're from Jersey. But yeah, it's a, it's a Jersey thing. <laughs> anyway, let's talk a little bit. Um, uh, I know um, the, um, um, the old man and the gun, um, which now was, yeah. did that end up being Redford's last movie? Is that the one he said? He's it was. Up? Yeah. Yeah. He, um, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like a tool, but you know, I, I, I know his name is Robert Redford, but everybody refers to him as Bob, right? So, okay. so he he <laughs> um, <laughs> he uh, <clears throat> he loved the story. He thought, you know, uh, when when we sent him the article that was published in the New Yorker, he he loved it. He thought it was like an homage. It would be a cool homage to like um, uh, Butch Cassidy and The Sting and movies of that ilk. And when we first started developing it for Bob to star in for Redford to star in it, it wasn't at the time thought to be his last movie, but because, you know, as you know, Jimmy, sometimes it takes years to get movies off the ground right. by the time that we did get to make it, you know, he was up there in age and he was starting to feel it. And he just thought, you know what, this is a great movie, a great role for me to go out on. Right. I remember uh, calling you when if, I, when I saw yeah. that, when it was announced that it was he was like done after this, I'm like, Anthony, yeah. you just got involved in producing a star's last movie. That's a pretty cool thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I listen. I'm I'm incredibly proud of that movie. Um, you know, I, I I found the article and I championed that movie all the way to the end. And um, yeah, and I'm grateful to have been a part of it. And then you know, and I built relationships off of that movie. You know, it's you know, in addition to Redford. Um, Sissy Spacek, who to this day, I, I just love and adore. She was the most amazing woman and just the most kindest soul. And, you know, and Casey Affleck and I have forged a friendship. And as a matter of fact, we've been texting back and forth all morning over something else that we're working on. Um, That's cool. And, you know, and so, um, and you know, a lot of these movies, you know, they're, they're you, you meet people that, you know, you know, I'm not saying that these people are going to be in your lives forever, but, but, you know, you, you build friendships and new relationships because you're, as you know, Jim, when you're on a, a movie, especially if you're on a movie for, as a producer and you're on it for the entire run of from pre-production through production, you know, you, you kind of have a, you build a family of, you know, 50, 60, a hundred different people that sure. you're working with and, and I mean, kind look, of you know, crossing paths with every day. So uh, for, for five four or five months. You that's know, what it's, it's all like, about. Then if you're working yeah. on a movie uh, two years later, you want to work with people you know that you work with, you know, that are, that are good. Um, you know, that's the great thing. It's a little bit that way for actors. You know, sometimes you meet a director or producer or something like that and they end up, you don't know why you got cast in something until you get to the set and you're like, oh, I worked with that guy before. Or they'll come up to you and say, 
hey, man, I loved you in beer league. But whenever they say beer league, they always whisper it. Hey, dude, I loved you in beer league. Like, they can't announce that loud. That's so so yeah, you also did Finding Steve McQueen, which yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, was, was with, another cool movie um, with Travis Fimmel and um, Forrest you know, Whitaker. Who, uh, Forrest Whitaker, who's awesome. Just one, I will talk about uh, uh, just a real sweetheart, gentleman, kind uh, soft-spoken soul, you know, right. uh, Bill Fickner, who I love, you know, William Fickner, who's, you know, been in so many movies, you know, Perfect and you can, Storm. And you can get all the old man and the gun and finding Steve McQueen. Are they on Netflix now? Amazon? Where are they? At? No, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, you can probably get everything on Amazon, even whether you have to, whether it's available on prime or you have to rent it for three or four bucks. But, um, they're not on Netflix. They, uh, we, you know, because I think uh, finding old man, the gun was with Fox searchlight. Um, and so I think they made a deal with HBO. We got the first window and, and I think it's probably on, you know, uh, Apple or iPhone, iTunes or whatever. Now, what was the movie you, you produced with the, with the bank robbery? What, what do you mean, the, the bank robbery? Well, that, well, both of them, finding that, Steve McQueen. That's the one with the bank robbery? I get oh, confused. Oh, yeah, you mean with, Lou, with Louis? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so both of them were both, oddly enough, they, I, I made them back to back. I went from making, uh, finding Steve McQueen right into making Old Man and the Gun. Old Man and the Gun came out before finding Steve McQueen because we got into some issues with, with finding Steve McQueen. But both of them, Oddly enough, we're about bank robbers. One is, right. you know, fi- uh, uh, Old Man and the Gun is about yeah. this guy Forrest. Uh, right. Forrest I, I misspoke. I've seen them both. I misspoke. What I meant to say is, what was the movie where you didn't cast me in when I was perfect? Oh, for yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. That, that was Finding Steve McQueen. Yeah, yeah. That was Finding Steve McQueen. I, um, I'm just bringing that up to bust your job. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Listen, I, 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 you know, rightfully so, right? Like, you know, look, as a producer. I know, dude. I'm just I, busting you. Sometimes no, it's not. No, 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 Jimmy. No, no. I appreciate it though, seriously, because you know, dude. I mean, I, I, it's, I believe me when I tell you, I, I, I wish you were a part of the movie. You know, but it, it, it's like because I'm producing know, a wanna... movie called Finding Jimmy Palumbo. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, so that was that was uh, you know my 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 director fell in love with. Uh, by the way. Uh, with Louis Lombardi. And look, I, I like Louis a I lot. Like, yeah, I know Louis, funny. that's okay. He's got the list. He's got, you know, he's, he's works a ton. I know. And his audition was not particularly good, like at all. But my, as soon as my director saw his thing, he goes, oh my God, I know that guy from 24 and this right. and that. And he's like, he's I love that guy. I can work with that guy. He's you know, a he's, bigger he's star a, than me. I would have casted him myself. You know, so, so, uh, you know, but listen, God bless. Louis is a good guy. He really yeah, is a good guy. I, I'm you just know, busting he, the chops. He, no, no, I get, listen. And like I said, I deservingly so. So it, but, it's um, all good. But hopefully, hopefully uh, you know, we'll, we'll so get what do you some got, stuff together. What do you got going on now? What's, uh, I know you always have something in the, you got anything with the pandemic? You got, I know you got some TV thing. Um, yeah, I got a few TV projects set up. I'm doing something. Uh, doing something with uh, Amblin Television, which is Spiel- Steven Spielberg's uh, company. Um, it's a really big historical event. Um, it's a limited series, um, and we're just about to go out with it. We just attached uh, an actress uh, that we're really excited to it. I ha- the only reason why I'm not mentioning any names is because there's you know, no, you know, they don't want you know. Yeah, but Mark, For- but Mark Forrester, who's you know big director, is going to direct the entire series. 
Now I'm on. Un- uh, you know, I'm unavailable because I'm doing my podcast, which is much better. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see. I'll see if we can make the schedules work. Well, what? And go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, no, no. I got that, and I, I got a series at MGM that I partnered with the Renee Zellweger on that we're doing. Uh, not for Renee to starring. She's a producer with me, and she's amazing. A really hard worker, and um, and you that's know, something that's coming together. Yeah, uh, one of the things I, I laugh. One of the things I laugh at when I talk to producers that are like, you know, at Anthony's level, one of the things you notice is that you, you don't just have one project going. You may have one that's ready oh, to no. pop, but you have like, you have like 15 pots on the stove. Some of them are ice cold. Some of them are boiling. Some of them are, you just put the water in the pot and you just go through time. And some of the ones that pop, you didn't even think were going to pop and they do. Yeah, no, hundred percent. There's no question about it. I, I, I've had movies that I've developed you know, that I've been developing for years and then others that, you know, for whatever reason, people responded to a script a lot quicker and felt like it was a more appropriate time to make it and it goes quicker, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, as, as an independent producer, uh, you're, you know, you're constantly juggling 10, 15 different projects that are at different stages of development, you know? And, and, I thought, uh, and I, I don't want to keep you, but I, I thought you were actually going to tell the story of that time when you and I, because we'd go out often, we were at that restaurant bar, what was it, Indochine or something, and we were oh, upstairs yeah. and we started talking to those women, and uh, they had, you know, they wanted to be in the movie business or whatever, and I think we, what did we tell them? We told them that we wrote... Um, On Gold, oh, uh, 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 um, um, uh, uh, what was the... Uh, the, the Kevin Cosner one. No, no, the midnight. Oh, yeah, dancing with wolves. Dancing with wolves. And, <laughs> and then, and then, and then, uh, midnight express. The yeah. we, I don't even think we were born when yeah, I mean, no. we might have been like three years old at the time when the movie came out. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, no, that was really funny. Telling, telling women at a bar that you we produced Midnight Express, which came out in like '77. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And people, exactly. oh, really? I love that movie. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, Anthony, yeah, so thanks anyway. for coming on. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Hopefully, we'll, we're going to be getting Paul. lunch maybe next week, and hopefully, we'll be working together Let someday. I, I hope so too, Jim. Right, I hope so too. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you with the podcast. You got hope it, it blows up for you. You deserve it. And right. uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right, Bob. You got it, brother. I'll talk. To All you. right. Be well. we'll All right. Bye bye. Warren Brumell of Keyport Law has been practicing for over 35 years and is here to help you in your bankruptcy matters. Bankruptcy is a specialized area of law that requires expertise and experience, and Warren brings both. Keyport Law has handled over 10,000 bankruptcy cases. They will make the process simple and provide easy, affordable payment plans. Warren will get creditors off your back, stop the annoying phone calls, and stop the creditors from contacting your neighbors and former employers. Listeners of Chop Sports will get the first interview free, Go to www.keyportlaw.com and fill out the new client intake form and they will contact you directly. This firm is a debt relief agency helping people file for relief under the bankruptcy code. All right. Uh, that was Anthony Mastromaro. That was awesome. So good of him to come on our show. And listen, that's it for our show. Uh, the Packers won, so you're happy. The Giants uh, lost, so I'm not happy. Uh, Rutgers almost won, so I'm semi-happy. And... Uh, uh, that's it. Rutgers plays Ohio State. Big weekend. We'll be talking about that next week. And uh, thank you guys for sticking around. And um, don't forget to go on to Chop Sports Media and buy some T-shirts. Now, Chris told me there was going to be a T-shirt on the thing. He says I'll have it done by maybe Wednesday. Um, the Getting Involved new one. 
We could do it right now. Okay, you're gonna put it on right now. Well, like we could do it. You want to? Okay, do it? we. Okay. Yeah, as soon as well, we, listen. As soon as we're done, we'll sit listen, down. Listen, if I come back next week and you, no one has purchased a getting involved shirt, um, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, that's it. You know what? I'm gonna make you root for the. You have to wear a giant shirt all day. Fair. No, we'll make Dave wear a giant shirt. So that's it. So if you screw up. Dave has to wear a giant shirt. Fair so enough. I think that we already established that there's not going to be any T-shirt up by <laughs> Wednesday because I'm going to have Dave wear the giant shirt. You just all right, we just turned this show made your into, own bed there. All right, but we're going to have new T-shirts up within 24 hours. Please check them out. And um, there's going to be 706, the Jimmy Palumbo show, and one that says "Getting Involved Here." And I think we have to get off the show now. It's been long enough. Thanks for listening. Go to Apple and Spotify and leave a review and go online and follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Ticker and Tucker and all that stuff that uh, I try to act like I'm 15. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah.